All right, here we go. Romans chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 concludes the section that we've been working on in Romans where Paul is specifically talking about his burden to Israel. Specifically this morning, we're going to talk about Israel's rejection. It's neither complete nor final. And we're going to attempt to cover the entire chapter. I say that going in, and I'll give this word of caution. The biblical language, which I'm going to read uh, with your patience, I hope, is complicated. It's difficult for me. It's not that it's complicated vocabulary. The writing structure, Paul's writing structure, is difficult for me in sections. So I'll ask your patience, but I think it's so important that we give special attention and reverence to the Word of God. We should read the Word of God, above all. What I have to say is secondary, at best, to the Word of God. And so we will, we'll, we're going to read the entire chapter together. And again, I'll ask your indulgence in that. But any serious student of the Bible must concern himself with the story of Israel. Biblically, the story begins in Genesis and continues throughout Scripture. From an anthropo anthropological view, the story begins in a unique way with the call of one individual man, that, that of Abram, out of the, uh, or the Chaldees. You could say uh, one individual family because Abram is already married at that time to Sarah, and of course she follows and Though it's not mentioned, that requires faith as well, maybe as much as Abram had. And, and she is instrumental as well. But nonetheless, it's, it's a different view from an anthropological way of thinking. Um, historically, the story of Israel is one of rise and fall, of captivity, of genocide and restoration. Prophetically, the story is not yet complete. Israel is the nation for which... God still has a plan. Paul makes this very clear in his uh, section of, that we've been talking about, Romans chapter 9, and concluding with Romans 11 today. And his opening sentence in chapter 11 lets the reader know that despite appearance, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And that's really the theme of chapter 11. So as we study chapter 11 today, that's your theme to focus upon, and that is that God is not done with the nation of Israel. That's probably more apparent to us in this age than it was uh, in the age of the greatest generation, as, as, as it's often stated. For a time, Israel was off the map. It had gone away. And certainly in the earlier part of the 20th century, Israel was not a factor. They were not a nation again until 1948. And in 1948, they were a very struggling nation. And, and the world was watching to see, is this going to last? Because every nation surrounding Israel outright stated, if you declare yourself a nation, we're going to drive you into the Mediterranean. You, we, we will not allow this. And so we see that from that viewpoint, Israel is unique. From all those viewpoints, Israel is unique. And Paul makes his argument this morning that, that from chapter 11 that God is not finished with them. So we ask ourselves, why does Paul think it necessary to make that argument? And before I answer that, let's do the reading. So look, if you will, in Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. 
again, about midway through especially, it gets very complicated, so I'm going to read kind of slowly. And if you will, follow along as best you can, and we'll, we'll work these things out together. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have, their, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are, are my flesh and save some of them, for if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you, are, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were, grafted, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? 
For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these have all have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you they may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So, you see what I was saying about the language? (laughs) It's a tongue twister for one thing in places. So one thing that is apparent to me is we could study this chapter probably for a month and not get the, to the bottom of it. it. And I don't mean the bottom of the meaning, but there's so many things intertwined here. There, there's so we, could, we could trace Scripture back uh, again and again and again throughout the entire Old Testament just based on what we just read in chapter 11. Paul is saying a lot and a little bit. But if we did that, if we spent that month, and I'm not saying it would be a bad month, but if we spent that month doing that, we'd end up in the exact same conclusion that we're going to end up this morning in covering in one lesson. Secondly, we're, we're Gentiles living in America in 2023. And so the mysteries presented here are not as mysterious. What do I mean by that? Well, we have... We have the knowledge of the scripture. The, we have the entire word of God. We, we are well studied. Uh, we're, we've not arrived. We're going to continue to study. But we have a background in this. So the things that are saying are not strange to us. The things that Paul is arguing here in Romans 11, when he wrote them, obviously were very strange to many people. I think both Jew and Gentile. And remember, when Paul writes Romans Who's his audience? Who is he writing to? The Roman. The Roman what? Uh, not all of Rome? All of the nation of Rome? The, the, so we would say the church, correct? You're right. The Christians. Do, are those Jews or Gentile? Very good. Both. Absolutely. This is both. And so when he writes this, he's writing to the believer, but he understands his audience is both Jewish and Gentile. See? And so he's covering both sides of this coin, if you will. And we understand that. We get that. So again, I don't think it's uh, as productive for us to spend a long, long time on this chapter. I think we can do it all in this one lesson. So that's where we're headed. So point number one, Israel's rejection was not total. We see this in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 11. Their rejection was not total. 
Paul begins uh, by stating it outright. And he gives himself as proof, as evidence, if you will. In verse 1 again, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not! Exclamation point. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. So, so Paul says, obviously, God has not cast us all away. Here's the other thing that you need to keep in the back of your mind if you're making notes. Write this down somewhere. When he's making his arguments here in chapter 11, he's speaking corporately. So when, when he starts talking about the falling away and the casting out and, and these types of terms, he's not talking about somebody losing their salvation. He's talking about a corporate view of both Jew and of Gentile. In the same way that he says all will be saved, he's not talking about everybody that's ever existed under one nationality or the other will automatically be included in redemption. That is not the message. And, and that's not the context of chapter 11 either. It, it, if it were, it would, be direct in, it would be in direct contradiction of what Paul just wrote in Romans chapter 10. We talked about it last week. In this, in this individual calling upon the name of the Lord that you can be saved. And so we, we know that from those two reasons that he's speaking corporately in chapter 11. So if you don't keep that in mind, about halfway through the chapter, it can be confusing. I went back a couple of times and, and resolved this and, 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 and discerned it. And it, it's obvious when you do. So Paul says he is proof that not all Israel has lost, uh, been lost, but he says that he has preserved a remnant. And he uses Elijah as an example in the Old Testament to point this, that this has always been true. So even before the nation of Israel, uh, I guess, finally falls away, and, and something occurred to me I'd love to study, is, is when, the na when Israel as a nation went away after the New Testament is concluded. I, I, I need to look into that and, and learn that history. That's part of the modern history of Israel. And the modern history of Israel is fascinating, by the way, if you ever uh, want a, a fun study. But I... I I get the sense that they kind of faded out in, in, in terms of history. And that's probably because of what we see here in chapter 11, their rejection of God. So he talks about how there's been a remnant. There always was a remnant. There always will be a remnant. There still is a remnant today. And so when we say a remnant, what do we mean? A remnant out of Israel. What do we mean by that? Like just a little piece of it? Yeah, a little piece that has not turned their backs on God specifically is what it means. So, again, the, the idea here and the teaching is that Paul is putting forth is that Israel as a nation or Israel as a whole has rejected God. That's fact. That's truth. That's Bible. But there has always been a remnant within Israel that did not reject God. And so this is what he's talking about. He uses Elijah as an example. So you remember the story of Elijah in the Old Testament and how when he, he has his great victory uh, and he calls down fire from heaven and, and it's consumed and all this, but he has to run and flee and, and hide for his life and, he, and he, at some point, he has a little pity party 
uh, and he he begins to cry out to God and say, "Oh God, I'm your only guy. I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me." Kind of doing one of these, you know. <laughs> and there's no other way to read it. I mean, I'm not, Elijah's amazing. I, I don't put myself on level with Elijah. Don't give me. But you can't read that chapter and not see it any other way. I don't. I don't think. And God rebukes him, and he calls back, and he says, no, you don't know what you're talking about, Elijah. I've got 7,000 that have never bowed the knee to Baal. You don't know about them. You don't see them, Elijah, but I see all, and I know all, see. And so he says, even then, there is a remnant. And Paul says, just like in that day, today, or during Paul's day, there is still a remnant that has uh, been preserved by God. And Paul is one of those. So then he, he makes the, the argument that this remnant is preserved by grace. And he goes into this argument. And again, the language, I'm not going to try to dissect the language for you. You can make of it what you will. But the conclusion is that it's of grace and not of works. And it's self-evident. That's, that's what he's talking about in those, those verses around 5, 6, and 7. Where he's talking about work is work and grace is grace and all this sort of thing. But that's the message of those verses. So then he talks about those who are holding the law or on to works, they're blinded. So the reason of Israel's rejection or Israel's falling away, and they go hand in glove, by the way, is that they're holding on to law. And this is why in the New Testament especially, again and again and again and again, the New Testament writers keep saying you've got to let go of the law and grab on to grace. This was a, a huge obstacle. I mean, massive for them. I don't think we'll ever, as uh, 21st century Gentiles, especially living in America, be able to grab on to how hard and how difficult this was for the Jew, especially in Paul's day. Coming out of the Old Testament into the New Testament era, this brand new Messiah revelation that Christianity that it just it was so it was such a struggle they they just could not overcome it or they did not overcome it they refused to overcome it because they would not let go of their works now what's the greatest fallacy in that from a Pharisaical standpoint or a uh, uh, from a religious standpoint, the greatest fallacy is that from the very beginning, God taught them that the works, even the works, were based upon faith. It was not the act itself, and Israel missed that. It's not that God dangled something in front of them that he would not allow. It's that they missed the very truth that he gave. It was always about faith. Even in Abram, it was about faith. And that is repeated again and again and again, yet they missed it. Uh, it puts me in the mind of Matthew 11, verses 1 through 19, where uh, he talks about those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. In other words, those who will hear and accept it and believe, they get the blessing. That's, that's what that verse means. It, it's not that some have a physical ability and others do not. It's not that some have a spiritual ability and others do not. It's just some will submit and believe in faith and others will not. How many in this room by show of hands, understand the complete working of the grace and mercy of God in their life. No hands? I'm going to put mine by my side further down so there's no confusion. None of us. How many of believe it? Absolutely. Every hand in the room is up. So 
That's, you have an ear to hear. It's that simple. It's not about your understanding. It's about your belief and your faith. Not in ignorance and not a blind faith. There is some evidence, a lot of evidence, but it's about faith. So, um, moving on, point number two, Israel's rejection is not final. Okay, so first it was not complete. Now it's not final. This is in verses 11 and 36. Only two points to the outline, by the way. The chapter divides itself into these two sections primarily. So Israel's rejection is not final, verses 11 through 36. So first he talks about the fall of the Jew uh, and how this created the fullness of the Gentile. So it's, it's, it's a very well-known biblical truth that the Gentiles' opportunity to grace and to salvation comes through the rejection of that same grace and salvation, again, corporately, it comes through that rejection. So this is why we have this, this opportunity as Gentiles. And Paul points out, I'm the apostle called to that, and which we should be excited about because that's kind of like having Nick Saban as your apostle, you know. <laughs> That, that didn't sound right. <laughs> Paul is the Nick Saban of the apostles, if you will. He, he's, he's one of the greatest apostles, you know. And so he, uh, I thought, you know, did Alabama win? Anybody did that? Okay. So I thought after a win. Yeah, I know. I, I've totally blown this now by going to college football. I, I should have known better. But, but Paul is the apostle to the Gentile, and he points this out, he knows this, and he talks about this grafting in, and, and he spends uh, two or three verses, maybe more here, um, explaining it with this metaphor, and it makes perfect sense to them because they're an agrarian society, this makes, you know, they, they can see this, they can put their hands on it, see, and so probably most, if not all of you understand grafting, uh, at least from and have heard it and familiar with it that way. But he uses an olive branch, olive tree. Uh, and he talks about how there are two trees. There's the, the cultivated tree. In other words, one that has been, ground has been prepared. A location has been picked out. And it, the, the, the tree has been planted and nurtured, fertilized, watered, allowed to grow into maturity. And he talks about the wild olive branch and, and the one that can just go out and find a, a tree in the wild. So he talks about the branches that were broken off. And this, of course, is, again, corporately speaking of Israel, those who reject it. So you might picture in your mind that tree with a dead branch and he, or a vine, and, and those are broken off and cast away so that they're no longer a burden on the plant. And we do this today in our gardens. And then... On top of that, the dresser, the gardener, knows how to, and there, there's a technique to this, and you need a sharp blade, and you cut it in such a manner, it comes to a point, it's open, in the, and you take the, the grafted uh, branch, and you cut it the same way, you place them together, you bind them together, and you allow the two to grow together. And this is the metaphor that Paul uses. Gentile, you are the new branch. But just because you're the new branch, don't boast in that because you're still not the tree. You're not getting the benefit. You're not giving the benefit to the tree. You're receiving it. And that's the metaphor that he makes. And so we as Gentiles need to be thankful and, and, and recognize our blessing uh, 
and the goodness is revealed through this grafting. So God's, and I love how it's phrased here. And I, let's see, did it? yeah, look at verse 22 again. This is one of those verses that just, that grabbed me as I was studying. Because again, it's not something we typically say. The first part of the verse is, therefore consider the goodness of God. So yeah, we, we have no problem with that. We understand that. We say that a lot. But look at the second part of it. The goodness and severity of God. And, and, and Paul kind of puts these on equal plane. He says, just as much as he grafts in, he casts off those who refuse him. God's not a beggar. He's not begging you to come. He's not begging you to, uh, to, to, to accept him. Uh, he has done everything possible and everything and beyond everything to, to bring the lost to his son. Jesus Christ, to bring them to faith, to provide grace and provide mercy. But he's not going to stand on the street and beg. And if you choose to refuse him, you will face his wrath. Just as severe as he is gracious. See. And, and Paul outright states this. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Again, he's speaking corporately. Gentile, Christian, Chattanooga, Stuart Heights Baptist Church, Cordes Sunday School class, don't get proud. Do you want your generations following you to receive the mercy and the grace of God? Then come humbly. Teach them well. See, don't get proud. God can be severe with you as well or with your descendants and i think that's the message here uh and, and by the way the, the first century church received that message well very well if you look beyond the apostles at the church leaders and the church itself it thrived why because of humility of faithfulness see of enduring and and and, and being grateful for the grace that was given them Oh, I wanted to leave more time, and I, I have run out of time. And then finally, he concludes in verses 33 through 36. I'm skipping to the very bottom of the outline. God's will will be done. And that's what these verses are talking about. It, it, you know, if you think throughout history, Satan has tried and tried and tried to distort God's plan from, from day one. And we read it from Genesis chapter 3 and going forward. So God's plan in creating the earth was what? A perfect environment, right? Utopia, but free will choice. That's why the tree was of, of the knowledge of good and evil was placed in the garden, so that Adam and Eve could choose to obey. And, and Satan came in and, quote, wrecked the plan, but yet God had another plan already in store, didn't he? And so God chooses Israel, and he designates Israel. And so Satan comes in, and Israel falls away. But yet God had another plan already in store, did he not? And so we see this over and over and over again, where God's will is going to be accomplished. So, question. Think about it, and then answer out loud. Was it God's will for Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to sin in the garden? Got one brave person back there that you, and you are correct. It was not. It was not his, but they did sin. 
And God continued on. So, again, as my dad taught me, God has a directed will and a permissive will. Or a will that, of grace, if you will. However you want to state that. And we see him working throughout history and time and even in the prophecy. His will, what he, there are certain things that he says are going to happen. And those things will be done. And as Paul points out in chapter 11, one of those things is that Israel is not done. God has a plan for the nation of Israel corporately, and he is going to restore them. How is that going to work? I don't know. I know partially. I read the book of Revelation, and I see the tribulation and the suffering and the hardships and the horror that that nation will go through. Why? To call them back into redemption. And then, we'll, we, then we see them late at the throne, saying, how long, O Lord, how long? See? So these things are going to happen. Why? Because they are the will, the directed will of God. So the salvation of the Gentiles now is at hand. Yeah, yet God has those future plans. So church, here we go. Application. What do we do with all that? What's our job in the meantime? We're Gentiles. We're the benefactors. The Jews have fallen away. What are we to be doing with that? Reaching the lost. Reaching the lost. It didn't change, did it? The Great Commission did not change in the midst of all that complication. And that. Who's going to worry about and who's going to concern themselves with the, the redeeming of Israel? God. It's not your job. Uh, should we reach out to both... Uh, Jew and Gentile, or just to Gentile? Because it's the time of the Gentile, and the Jews have fallen away. Both. There's a remnant, isn't there? And God knows who that remnant is. So again, he, he kept it simple for us, didn't he? It is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, teach the gospel, making disciples. See? And that's our job. All right. Going forward, we're, we're in a, next week we'll deal with our Romans. We're going to begin to deal with Romans chapter 11. I think that we're going to do an, an entire series in Romans chapter 11. There's a lot there that is so applicable to us because it's about how to live like a Christian. And so we're going to talk about living sacrifices. We're going to talk about serving God with spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about behaving like a Christian. Continuing in the ver uh, chapter 13, we're going to talk about submission to government, loving our neighbors, putting on Christ. And so we'll probably get an entire series out of that. I love you. Get out of here. We'll see you next week.